price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's me, the skeleton bruiser, and I've got a boner in my pants. <laughs> Wizard Jake. <laughs> and uh, I am here to talk about the healing nature of love. Uh, and I'm here to talk about uh, this video game that has taken over my life for this past week. And that game has taken over the the lives of several, several people in general. Uh, unbelievable fandom. We're talking, of course, about Undertale today. That's right, Undertale, the, uh, the RPG indie darling, massive smash hit made by one Toby Fox. And I'm sorry about that boner joke. Okay, I just couldn't think of a better. It's like the one skeleton pun they didn't do in the game, and you found it. <laughs> it wasn't hard to find, Jake. I, I know what find. you guys are thinking. Undertale, what? That's just uh, it's celebrating its fifth year anniversary, like this week when the episode drops. What are you talking about? Like uh, this isn't nostalgia. This isn't uh, retro. But I mean, when the past five years have been the past five years we've had. I'm nostalgic for 2015. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I can't believe it came out that long ago. It makes me feel so old even to think that because I feel like I played it uh, two years ago at at most. But yeah, it was five years ago I played this video game. We're talking in the same uh, year we have Halo 5 Guardians, Super Mario Maker, Rise of the Tomb Raider, Witcher 3, Fallout 4, Bloodborne, and Phantom Pain. But... A lot of those, I mean, well, actually, no, a lot of those games stuck with me. I was like, who's forgotten Witcher 3 and Bloodborne? (laughs) The amazing, fantastic games. This is actually when I got a video game system for the first time in a long time that I purchased with my own money. Uh, I did get an Xbox 360 from a friend for very cheap, but that that doesn't count. (laughs) I went out and bought myself a brand new video game system very soon after the release, but I couldn't play it because I was going home for the holidays and uh, I needed something to play and... Of course, the different video game sites I was listening to podcasts from, various things of that nature. We're all talking about this little game called Undertale and just talking about how it's just this amazing thing. Everyone needs to experience it. And it just happened to be out for Mac uh, OS. Mm-hmm. So I it was the I think it's the only game I purchased on my Mac Airbook. 
or MacBook Air rather, that uh, is, uh, yeah, via Steam. I, I, that's it. And I played it while on Christmas break. I, uh, and, and which is great because it has that snow, whole snowy section that has this very Christmassy feel and, and, and music too. It did seem to be like the perfect time to play it. And of course I, I played it through, got the neutral ending. I remember it was a lot harder than I thought it was. And I replayed it to get the pacifist ending, uh, for the, in preparation for this episode and remembered again, I was like, damn it. it you think it's going to be this breezy thing that's all about concept and stuff like that. And then you get into some of these boss fights and they are no fucking joke. Uh, it, it's kind of crazy. I We should say, too, this is a game where uh, you can choose to fight or spare your enemies. Uh, and it is a game that incorporates an RPG structure, classic RPG structure with bullet hell sequences mm -hmm. in the combat. And those bullet hell sequences... They get pretty legit, uh, I, I must say. They get legit and within, but it's like almost more than that, because within that single bullet hell framework, you can get something like a rhythm game. You can get platforming sections. You can get spatial puzzles. Like the, the game design itself is really kind of interesting because it's not like, it kind of cuts the fat from a lot of like classic JRPGs, which is mm -hmm. a really like kind of the crux of what the game is influenced by because a lot of it is just hallways. You are just kind of moving along to the right. You are just kind of being ushered from zone to zone, but yeah. each individual experience, each individual site, each individual distraction, like within this very condensed play experience, you're just constantly encountering just novel ideas and novel yes. gameplay mechanics Novel jokes, and, novel and, characters. And, yeah, I was about to say, a novel humor. Really funny moments. Surprisingly funny moments. Very much akin to, like, a Paper Mario or Mario and Luigi DS game or whatever. It's, like, very smart, witty, funny, or or on-purpose cheesy elements and moments, which are a lot of fun. And and I was, I was like, chuckling aloud through all throughout playing the game, which is very difficult for a game to do, much less anything in general. You know what I mean? The so. amount of times that the game can like just basically look into break the fourth wall and be like, we don't give a shit. We don't care. <laughs> yeah. This is dumb. And then yeah. cut to two hours later and you are actively crying playing mm -hmm. this game because it's affecting you. I, I'll, ju I'll just say it. I'll just say it. I was... Uh, you Un cried. I was underemployed. I <laughs> was living in a shitty basement. I had no idea what my future was. Ah. And uh, it was all just kind of coming to a head. And this this weird little game that had all these weird little references of just being chronically online, uh, reading too many web comics, watching anime, playing like old 8-bit video games and having it all kind of coalesce into, especially by the end, uh, where depend even... No matter which route you go, there is a definitive, holy shit kind of culmination to the entire adventure. It's incredibly effective from... Yeah. Hell, the music the music itself has to do the so much heavy lifting. So good. Yeah, the music really gets you there for sure. But yeah, by the time I'm like playing the... Uh, om oh, are we, is this a spoiler-y show? Are we doing uh, this? Yeah, I think we have to, right, Jake? I mean... Yeah. I yeah, I, I'm not going to go into too deep of details, but we're going to have to talk. The game has three different endings, a neutral, pacifist, and genocide ending. 
depending on what you do in the game, depending on who you kill or don't kill in the game. Um, and I guess you're, are you speaking towards that a little bit? Yeah. That like, just, Oh God, there's all, there's so here's the thing. I'm trying to like break down what the clever bits are in this game, but it's, it really is. Oops. All clever bits. Like, yeah. Uh, the way the game plays with save file manipulation and the yes. way that it, uh, treats the, in, the relationship between the player and their own personal computer and the way the game will shut down and like, stymie your attempts to actually play it as a program yeah uh, the way that the music themes have make use of light motifs and create all these interconnecting themes that will kind of like create connections between characters and locations and places all to tie everything together the way that the mechanics can are are just completely subverted in the uh mercy and ask and act mechanics where you can instead of actually fighting the bad guys, you go into like uh, you try and get into their psychology, figure out what they want, and sometimes it's just they need a hug. Yeah, all all of the the fact that every monster has its own personality, its own little mini story, uh, which was uh, created by Toby Fox as a just a way to innovate on what he felt was emptiness in monsters in a like a final fantasy game which is true you just sort of battle through these monsters they they don't seem to ha be very different from each other except for in design and h and stats you know what i mean but but the fact that you you have a conversation with all of them is, yeah sometimes they need a hug sometimes you need to flex for your muscles for them or do something silly and ridiculous and that again paves the way for all these humorous or touching little moments all throughout i mean the game has so much heart that the heart is the the main like protagonist essentially in these battles, right? Like you know, the heart representing the soul and all this stuff. If if what we're saying right now sounds completely insane because you've never played this game, it's because it is. It's a really crazy thing. It's a wild, wild thing. I'm I'm just gonna say it. Uh, if you haven't played this game, don't listen to the episode. Really, Maybe honest don't. to God, turn it off right now and. Get this game and play it for yourself, and you can come it is, back. It is five hours long. Actually, wait, don't like turn that. it off. Uh, turn down the volume of your phone and then leave it on a table <laughs> for an hour so we don't have the lost minutes <laughs> listened. Really game the system. Help us yeah. out. Uh, yeah. But I played this game completely blind. I, you know, the immediate social media hit when it dropped happened. All the, you know, game internet people that I followed were like, just play this game right now, like, no questions asked. And going in blind without any expectations, it really just hit me super hard. And I feel like that's almost the best yeah. way to play it. Um, yeah, for sure. Another thing that I just really blew my mind when we cracked into this topic is the fandom. The way this game has affected the... It left an indelible mark on the internet in a way that very few games have. Uh, especially among younger people. Uh, on our Facebook page, if you go, you can look it up. They have a Facebook fan page. Uh, people came up and were like... Oh, my kid is obsessed with this game. He played. He here. He is dressed as Sans uh, for Halloween. People on Twitter were like, "Oh my god!" Like my daughter will like talk your ear off about this game. Like she knows about all the fan theories. I even uh, went so far as to hunt down a a Undertale AU that's alternate universe. If you're not fanfic literate, uh, Discord and just came across page after page after page of people. That were just not even discussing the original game, but like 
all these weird Korean offshoots and fan games and fan fictions and, you know, just universes within universes within universes, all because of this one, like, very affecting experience. And it feels like, in a lot of ways, it's the first, like, Gen Z crossover hit. Like, it's yeah. it's kind of this new generation where, you know, when we were, I, like, if Shovel Knight is a game made by kids that grew up playing Nintendo games, Undertale is a game made by the baby brothers and sisters of those kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the funny thing, too, is I think it works so well, though, for older people as well, because it does... Uh, play off of these video games that we grew up playing, you know, so with the whole with the Earthbound stuff and, you know, uh, and any kind of RPG from that time to a point where I'm like, you st- you love this this much. And, you, and yet you don't, probably don't even know the reference. It's, you know, I mean, it's it's the way I kind of think of it is Toby Fox was this young guy who just took almost everything that he loved about like geek culture, internet culture, anime culture, webcomics culture, and just condensed it into this almost near-perfect distillation of what all those things are. Everything from anime dating sims to bullet hell shooters to epic boss fights and JRPGs to touchy-feely webcomics where it's all about, you know, uh, mental health issues. And, like, from that concentrated pill, he then, like, inoculated millions of people on into these vibes with who had no experience with those things in the first place. And I think that the the trick here or the little secret here to it though, is the heart underneath it all and the, and how it feels so personal because it was a personal work. He made it for his friends. He didn't make it to make a successful game. He hadn't, he was shocked that people liked this game. And I think it's because when you make something that's just for you and for the ones you love, it ends up creating a product that the whole world can get behind, you yeah. know? And I think that's definitely the little secret behind it all uh, for, for how it became so successful. So let's get into it, Jake. Let's talk about the making of this thing, uh, how it came to be, and where we're at now. Because, of course, there's some still some interesting developments going on with the, I guess it's a franchise at this point because of Deltarune, which we will talk about. That's my sans. That's my sans. It's good. It's very good. Uh, So Undertale is an RPG created by any developer, Toby Fox, in which the player takes on the role of a child who has fallen into the underground, a large secluded region under the surface of the earth that is separated by a magic barrier. And they're trying to get back to the human world. Toby Fox said, I played Earthbound when I was four. I was so young that it helped me learn to read and also transformed my brain forever. And while in high school, Fox was a member of an Earthbound fan site, which is where he initially starts just creating things. Earthbound, uh, of course, Yeah, we have to get into Earthbound. Earthbound is an RPG on the SNES known for its emotional storytelling, humor, as well as its variation on an RPG battle system. So Earthbound uh, was this, it's technically a sequel to an NES RPG that never made its way to America until very recently called Mother. Uh, And it was created by a kind of this, essayist, poet, like, not a game designer guy named uh, Shigesato Itoi, who just really, like, just completely deconstructed and did all these, like, 
just bonkers choices with the, at this point in Japan, incredibly well-established Dragon's Quest Final Fantasy RPG mechanics. Uh, You know, the story takes place in uh, kind of this hybrid, suburban, perfect version of America. Uh, Our main characters are kids instead of, like, dragons. They fight all these unconventional uh, uh, monsters like just garden snakes and random hippies and the greater morals of these stories kind of expand and expand and expand. And from these humble beginnings, you end up fighting through like the edges of the universe and like through the power of friendship and loving each other, you like literally push back against like Cthuloid engines of extraterrestrial destruction. And so within like this cute kind of uh, goofy style, you can, there's existential horror. There's, uh, just kind of weirdly intense violence and it's just whiplash kind of experiences. So the idea that this is what Toby Fox like first played, where like this is what a video game right. is, is of course going to completely blow his mind. This right. was, you know, this was a game for people that like knew what conventions were already being broken and like and was made by a guy who was purposefully trying to push past the limitations of video games. And this is his, like, and this is Toby Fox's just baby's first step. Like, and so obviously when he goes to start playing more games, nothing else has this energy. Nothing else could, like, even touch the the depth and heart that the Mother series did. So obviously the best kind of video game is a Mother game. So he's just going to, like, express his love of gaming through this series. Yeah, and some other games as well. Some other games as well. I do love, too, though, you've got the, you know, in discussing uh, combat or discussing things with enemies in combat. That's, of course, from the Shin Megami Tensei series, which we talked about. It got its own episode. Jake loved that episode. He loved preparing for that one. And uh, <laughs> it's just this massive, decades-long <laughs> That was a good, you know what? Fuck it. No, it was a great episode. We learned a lot. It's very interesting. You should listen to it if you haven't. I did love it. Of course, that led to the Persona series. People you weirdos that are still that. listening, even though you haven't played the game, even though I explicitly told you you have to stop listening. Just go st- stop this. Scroll. Find our Shin Megami Tensei episode. God damn it. <laughs> I now. All right. Now stop that one and go to the Predator episode just to switch things up. <laughs> Uh, either way, uh, yeah, Shimagami Predator Tensei is the undertale of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. I will when say. you get when you get into battle uh, in that game, you can bargain with the demons that you're fighting. You can try to get them to join your side. You don't just have to attack them, and it's kind of maddening. I I love the I, I played Shimagami Tensei four, and as much as I loved it, it also made you crazy because demons are mischievous, and so like you can't really predict how they're going to react to anything you say to them. So it's always this big guessing game. I feel like he formed it a little bit better and, and created a little bit more of a logic to your discussions that you're having with these uh, with these creatures or, or interactions that you're having, rather. But either way, going back oh, to Earthbound. Yeah, uh, another thing about Earthbound that was definitely a huge influence on him was uh, the Earthbound series, the Mother series, however you want to call it, had music by Hip Tanaka, mm. who we've mentioned in our Metroid episode. He is this kind of... Mm-hmm. Uh, if Koji Kondo is like the the cool, uh, not the cool, is the, like the popular pop artist, Hip Tanaka is like the edgy radio head of Nintendo music. Perfect name for that guy, too. Uh, yes. And uh, and 
of course, Toby initially starts out playing music or creating music for for things as we're about to get into before he gets into game making. I just I need to get this out of the way early because I love a sound cue, Holden. You know how much I love a sound cue. I know it. Mary, if you could play the uh, opening uh, part, it's literally the first sounds you hear in Undertale, uh, Once Upon a Time by Toby Fox. Uh, if you could just play that for a few seconds. that one that's plays when the opening crawl happens and now this is uh the magic cant music from uh the original mother game on nes aha it's yes. it's, it's like you can like the influence is already like imprinted deep in his fucking musical dna So Toby Fox started out with the alias Radiation, and he ended up managing a forum uh, on this uh, Earthbound fan site that was there for hacks of the game and even created his own hack, which is called Press the B Button Stupid, which was a Halloween hack he made for a competition, which is how he ended up learning how to use RPG Maker, his first foray into game making. This and even Undertale were all made for the purpose of impressing the folks on that fan site. Fox said about Earthbound's influence on Undertale, I could definitely say that I wanted to make something that had as much emotional power, humor, and wonder as the Mother games, while not necessarily taking the same paths to achieve it. Also, the main character is a kid wearing a striped shirt. That's probably too obvious. (laughs) That Halloween hack is super edgy, super, like, you know, there's, I think there's a couple of slurs in there. It was the early 2000s. We didn't know any better at the time. He's distanced himself from it, but, like, it's all over the place in terms of, like, how creepy and, like, gross the custom sprite work is. Our main character is literally Brandish, who's, like, another character from a different uh, JRPG for the Super Nintendo, uh, which also involves escaping an underground kingdom, but whatever, we'll get into that later. But a lot of, like... A lot of key early influence in Undertale can be seen there, including the track Megalovania, which is uh-huh. the most first appears in that Halloween hack as the main boss theme. It's uh, Megalovania is basically the ultimate boss theme. And anytime like you need to convey this is a giant fucking spooky showdown, it fits everywhere. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, it, most of the most of the music in Undertale was created for the game, but uh, he's I believe ninety percent of the music was created specifically for the game. But he did pull Megalovania and uh, some other tracks for it. Um, yeah, he he just loved 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 Earthbound and Japanese games alike that quote pull on your heartstrings in a way that movies, books, and TV can't. It really feels like you've become friends with the game somehow. And again, I think he put that spiritual energy into this game which is why so many kids do i feel believe they are friends with that game Mm -hmm. with undertale also in high school he's now composing music for a web comic by andrew hussey called homestuck about a group of teens who accidentally bring about the end of the world via the installation of a beta copy of an upcoming computer game holden calling homestuck a web comic is like calling the empire state building uh, shack. <laughs> it's like calling uh, the sun itself a flashlight. It's like calling Jake Young 
a normal mortal man. It is like, it is an understatement. I, we're, we're revealing the secret that you're an undying god in this episode? I mean, technically, I'm, a, I'm an avatar of humanity's lust and violence, <laughs> given birth through the unconscious of humanity, not a yeah, god, but... I can't believe you're spilling these beans right now. This is supposed to be our big finale episode we were going to talk about this, and we're just doing it in the Undertale episode? As Fine, long everybody. as there is, as long as there's hatred and boners in this world, I will thrive. <laughs> That's all that matters. And boner jokes. Okay. <laughs> rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag and Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joe's, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses. Plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> so, yeah. What, what's the deal with Homestuck? What's the deal with Homestuck? Let I, me I, tell you about Homestuck, Holden. I'm frightened right now, Jake. Give me the lowdown here. What's going on? Okay, so we... This is so huge and such a, like, fucking meteor strike on internet culture that it deserves its own episode. But to put it like extremely briefly, Homestuck started uh, by a cartoonist named Andrew Hussey as a kind of chapter in what was called MS Paint Adventures, where it was kind of this interactive, low pixel density, uh, shoddily drawn, choose your own adventure that the audience between each chapter could actually like choose where the next uh, action our character, the main character could go through. What, like by vote, by voting or by voting. That's cool. And as it gained popularity and as the author kind of got a little like, uh, I don't know, got a bug up his butt, uh, the complexity of the game within the comic grew and the complexity of the execution also increased to the point where, each individual like day could be separated between like a new entry could happen hours apart, days apart, weeks apart. It could take the form of just a simple animated GIF, a few comic panels, or just like uh, in some cases, full on flash movies. And he was incorporating all these different uh, animations, photos, uh, 3D effects, and in many cases, music. It was so unwieldy that Viz Communications, the actual, yeah, Viz Media, the company we've talked about a bunch of times, owned by a bunch of uh, powerful Japanese publishers, creates uh, and localizes manga and anime, uh, bought the rights to it and had to remake the entire website from scratch using Mm. HTML5 and video files because Flash is, like, dying. Like, it's going to lose support in Chrome. Um, and the whole website, the whole adv- adventure, it was held together by like duct tape. It's considered like the James Joyce's Ulysses of internet. I was about to say, I just I'm looking at the 
the page on it, and I'm like, it's compared to Ulysses? It's that convoluted. At certain, like, alternate realities are introduced. There's, like, iconography that's introduced, symbolism that's introduced. There's, uh, it reaches this fever pitch once this troll universe is introduced, and now there's, like, this entire cast of not just kids playing this virtual game, but, like, alternate dimension, internet-born creatures. Uh, when I was doing anime conventions, doing comedy... It, there was like a very specific season that all of a sudden all the kids that were running around in Naruto headbands immediately like shifted. And there were these roving gangs of kids in like white face paint and can and homemade candy corn horns that were just behaving erratic. Cause again, this was the 2000s. I remember I, I kicked a couple of those kids. I remember, <laughs> uh, you know, lol Invader Zim happened. Uh, lol random humor happened. Like there was, we make fun of it now, but like to penguins of doom, so random humor was deep in the internet's DNA at this time. And the immersiveness, the uh, commitment that it took to appreciate this. And the fact that like, once you were in, you had so much to talk about and, and the nature of the adventure itself meant that the audience was interacting and shaping the future of the work itself created this cult around this individual. Again, to use the phrase isn't enough web comic. <laughs> like Penny Arcade is a web comic, right? Like right. control alt delete is a web comic. This is a multimedia psychodrama through which an entire generation of children was like warped. So that's, that's another question I want to ask before we move on. Cause we obviously have to talk about other things. This episode that helps suck. Unless you want to just, if you want to just hijack this entire episode and turn it into a Homestuck episode, Jake, I'll just I'm happy say this: I've never read through the entire thing. I've tried multiple times and gotten like frustrated. <laughs> on the Viz, now on the new website that Viz slapped together, the way that the site is indexed, each individual update is now its own new, like chronologically ordered number. Like panel one is one, panel two is two, and I just kept typing in random numbers. I was like panel three hundred. Panel 1,000, panel 2,000, panel 4,000. I hit panel 8,303, and it was still fucking going. Yeah, that's Like, insane. this thing is insane. And and was there a lot of, at this time, was this the most, to use a word we've used a bunch before, but was this the most novel, like, interactive, I'll save webcomic again, even though it upsets you, but you know what I mean? Were there a lot of other, because I had never really, I, I jumped into Homestuck as well in preparation for this. And I was like, oh, is this like normal for webcomics that this is this interactive, almost gamified webcomic or, or no? No, this was an entirely new thing. And okay. uh, the level of dedication is obvious. And uh, again, it, became, it, it has its own in-jokes, its own memes. It's, you could, it's one of those properties that it could be your entire life. It has an, it, there's enough within there that you could just watch uh, fan theory channels. You could just listen to soundtracks from the music from the comic because obviously Toby Fox created music for the comic. Like he knew that like it was so big that like the $1,000 tier on Undertale's Kickstarter had a, uh, you know, we'll insert your own fan troll because, you know, kids would create their own troll personas and role play them on Tumblr and stuff. Toby Fox was so in this universe that like, yeah. besides just creating songs and interacting with fans and 
working on fan projects and helping to just keep this site together. He even ended up writing a 10-minute opera making fun of the fandom called The Baby Is You, uh, where it was kind of this meta commentary on how there was so much sexualized fan art of the kids, um, the child characters, that like it caused this giant drama on the official forums because they tried to ban it. I feel like I'm in a corner of internet knowledge. And you were taking me there, and I desperately want to remove Mary, if you could just play a little bit of The Baby Is You. How dare you, Jake? I'm having a baby, and the baby is you. My ovaries are at the wazoo. I'm having a baby, and the baby is you. You're going to come out my hoo-hoo. But how is that possible? I don't know. Such is the magic of sky. I'm just saying, it was a lot of insular random humor. That's so bad. Either way... Uh, not that song, but Fox did get Hussey's attention by posting piano covers of the webcomic's music on these forums and ended up getting to create music for the comic himself and really was a music guy to start out. He ends up going to Northeastern University in Boston for college where he studied environmental science. But while there, he began sketching ideas for a possible game and gave each of his central characters their own musical theme. Again, the music comes first uh, a lot for him, and the characters come first a lot for him, and that's where the process really gets started. Now, the battle system for Undertale, that is, uh, that's how it all came together. So he was like playing, dabbling with these characters, but I don't think he actually had a game in mind for them. But it, so, so it all really starts tr- truly for the actual game itself with the battle system. Fox ends up uh, tooling around in Game Maker Studio. He actually, he was doing random Wikipedia results, like Wikipedia roulette, essentially. And uh, he said, one day I randomly read about ar- arrays, data arrays is, is what he's referring to, and realized I could program a text system using them. So I decided to make a battle system using that text system text system, which in turn gave me many ideas for a game. Then I decided to make a demo of that game to see if people liked it and if it was humanly possible to create. These early college, you can find like random bits of these college uh, notebook notes. The drawings are very crude. There's all sorts of weird like um, uh, early versions of characters like Papyrus was supposed to, Papyrus is the long skeleton, not the squat skeleton. Um, and he was supposed to have like a fedora and make brony jokes like he was supposed to be a real piece of shit. <laughs> a interesting thing I found in the official Undertale art book was um, this quote. Uh, supposedly, he had been playing a lot of AAA games and was like a little bit, uh, especially uh, Legend of Zelda uh, Skyward uh, Sword. I-, I agree, Toby. It's way too slow. Long completely unnecessary tutorial at the beginning of that game. That game takes like 10 hours for you to not feel like some something is holding your hand through the whole thing. It's so obnoxious. Go on. So one of the earliest things that kind of like got his juices going about making his own game was the character of Toriel, which uh, it took me way too long to realize this. Literally the tutorial character. She's the yeah. first person who shows up and she's, overprotective she literally holds your hand through traps like thinks you're not ready to actually play the game uh you know and it's this kind of this like kind of mocking character originally the idea of just creating this nightmare version of the tutorial character and just really just kind of just a mean satire of gaming trends at the time uh this is the quote from the art book 
When I was developing the idea behind Undertale's battle system, I was envisioning Toriel as some kind of overprotective human goddess, uh, similar to Miria from Breath of Fire 3. In this original concept, killing Toriel would have been mandatory to proceed. But when I actually started writing the character's dialogue, it felt wrong to have violence be the only choice. That's when I realized what Undertale was really about. Toriel's theme song, Falling Down, was created a year before Undertale for an Earthbound sound font co- uh, collaboration album I was in. It was intended to be the game over the theme, similar to the original Zelda's, but it works well as a theme for her too, doesn't it? So like, he just wanted an edge, because this was still his old edgy Earthbound Halloween hack idea that like, uh, the same way that a 12-year-old would make a Kill Barney flash game or something. Right, it's like, right. No, you can't do this. No, you're not ready. Hey, hit the B button, and then you just fucking kill her, man. But then as he's actually writing it out and actually like plotting it out, he's like, oh, no, this feels bad. Yeah. Killing feels bad. I want like, wait, what if we did a game without the killing? And like that's all of a sudden opens up so many new ideas. Toriel also exists due to Fox's feeling that mother characters are often missing in games like the Pokemon series and the Mother series. So we wanted to create a character to be, quote, a mom that hopefully acts like a mom and, quote, genuinely cares about what the player does in the game. For sure. Uh, Also, another inspiration is by the Bullet Hell Japanese video game series Toho Project. He decided to incorporate Bullet Hell into his game, but in a way that was programmed to be tough but fair. Sometimes a little too tough, though, Toby. I will say that. I love that I just talked to Toby now, and I just got like 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 a concerned mom. Toby, some of those sequences in the spider fight were a bit much. One of the things that uh, the Toho Project, which is the overarch, we dear God, please don't make us do a Toho Project episode. <laughs> Kill me. The lore is so crazy with those games, but uh, it's also. Famously, it was also created by kind of a single creator who did the music and the programming and all that. And one of the things the game did amazing was kind of create these uh, intersection points where the music is super ornate and orchestral. The gameplay is super intense and like just these soaring video game highs as like everything's coming together in these intense gameplay moments in uh, a kind of this really epic way that is so profound. Like it was amazing that these games were created by a single guy. Mm. And there's even on Toby Fox's old uh, Tumblr page, he does like this very like cheeky uh, fake parody of Toho music while he just talks about how like, then I'm going to add some scales. Then I'm going to do a slow piano part. Like he's really like, he understands what those games do well. Uh, And it's really felt, especially during those, again, tear-jerking final boss encounters where the music is soaring, you're dodging projectiles, all of your fake virtual friends are cheering for you. Like, mm. again, taking these great experiences, these niche things, and collecting them like fucking Pokemon all to put into his game. Well, here's another one. Uh, Let's talk about Super Mario RPG and Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, which incorporates a defense system so that when you're being attacked, if you time it right, it would allow Mario and Luigi to dodge the attack. And that was definitely, and I feel like just the overall humor of those games also deeply, deeply inspirational to Toby Fox. Uh, But he also did not want grinding to be necessary and no fetch quests or backtracking, which are things in RPGs he did not like. There's a little bit of backtracking, especially to get certain endings. But uh, yeah, he wanted to make that. But he also, I did like this too. Uh, 
it's actually harder to take the good path for the most part, in except for the Sans fight and the genocide ending. It's actually more difficult to spare the monsters' lives because Fox felt that the good path in games tends to be easier. Uh, and he had this to say, but if you do things without effort, then it doesn't feel meaningful. So he made the pacifist approach slightly more difficult than just attacking the enemy. Uh, of course, Sans battle aside, we'll talk about that Sans fight though for sure. Um, I did want to, I know I already mentioned the Shimagami Tensei connection, but I do just love this quote from Toby Fox. I want to create a system that satisf satisfied my urge for talking to monsters. Uh, which I thought I liked a lot. And then, of course, you have Moon Remix RPG Adventure. Now, this is a game. Do you know much about this game? I This game just got released for the Switch. It's, like, yeah. finally localized. And so a lot of people are like, oh, you know, this no Undertale without Moon because this, yeah. was, the, this was the real first game that made you, like, question killing things in an RPG. Mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. like, I don't know how much his experience with it is. I don't know how direct the line is. It follows a boy named Moon who plays as fake Moon on his game station. So it's a game within a game at first, which parodies Japanese RPGs in the 16-bit era. And later, he is sucked into the game itself. And in this world, in order to repair the character's damage, one had to increase their, quote, love level by helping others instead of hurting them. Uh, so, yeah, that definitely sounds like he must have gotten like a ROM of, of that and a translation or something. Another big influence is uh, a Japanese indie RPG called Yume Nikki, which was this very unsettling, spooky kind of uh, game that had. How do I put it had this very it, it was basically the translates to Dream Diary. And the whole game is filled with these very grotesque, unsettling uh, nightmare imagery and uh, you're not spoon fed a lot of the plot. You're kind of forced to interpret a lot of what's happening. There's unsettling violence. There's kind of clues into a much uh, darker storyline at first glance. And the game is full of like basically creepy pasta bait, mm. uh, you know, weird sprites that show up randomly weird, like segments that don't have a lot of meaning and are really just like feed fan theories and speculations and like gives birth to memes. And a lot of that can be felt in the inclusion of the fun value system that Toby uh -huh. Fox incorporates into this game where every uh, new game install or reset, because that's an option that happens in some of the genocide runs, gives assigns you a random number in the game that, you know, in the back end, not that you can see it. And depending on what that value is, you'll get like, weird rooms full of like characters and like uh you can encounter a ghost you can encounter uh like cult members you can just get a weird phone call all of these things that make your playthrough unique hmm. building that kind of like viral creepypasta community sense where you're like wait what do you mean you didn't meet the goner kid in the waterfall like how do you not like what do you mean that wait is my game haunted the idea of the haunted yeah. video game was super popularized through a lot of stuff that was happening in the ROM hack community, a lot of stuff that was happening in the indie game community, and just like well-known creepypasta stuff like the scary Sonic face and Sonic CD and all these uh -huh. other uh, Polybius and just the idea that there's ghost, this ghost in the machine that, uh, you know, eagle-eyed like people can go into the INI files and discover, uh, mm. which is exemplified in the character of uh, W.D. Gaster, who has created his own fucking ecosystem 
of fan theories and weird mystery solvers. It's just another interesting little influence that Toby Fox included in his game. That creates, again, a massive fandom. Like, that is exactly what a massive fandom makes. Uh, the idea of being trapped in an underground world was inspired by a game called Brandish, it, uh, which is a top-down dungeon call- crawler centered around a fallen tower due to a battle that sinks below the ground as cursed ruins, which the player character must try and escape from. A lot of the comedy was attributed to shows like Mr. Bean, a character played by Rowan Atkinson that is essentially, quote, a child in a grown man's body. And I feel like you see these scary monsters, these big, scary professional monsters that are there to kill you, and then they have this childlike nature underneath them. So I really do see that. Plus, there's a lot of, like, silly sight gags and stuff like that, physical stuff that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Uh, it's just uh, throwing in a mention that at a certain point while developing the demo, he enlists the help of uh, one Temi Chang, mm-hmm. who at the time is an art student who is studying 2D animation, who has uh, he notices her work on DeviantArt and reaches out to her. She's a huge Homestuck fan. She knows exactly who he is, and she starts contributing stuff as well. A lot of the cuter designs, a lot of uh, the lesser dog, uh, he, she refines a lot of Toby's cruder drawings. Uh, alongside some other artists who help with the tile sets. And even uh, in subtle ways, she influences the game, such as uh, in the opening crawl, uh, where we're kind of given the backstory of the game, she makes those uh, drawings, those pixel drawings, and she just mistakenly gives the kid the wrong outfit, which then sparks Toby Fox into thinking like, oh, what if there was another kid that fell in the underground, thus mm. creating the entire Kara, Chara, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but, uh-huh. you know, the genocide, the very spooky genocide character, uh, Kara, who, uh, cr- again, another just deep well of fan speculation and fan theories and just spooky ooky shit. Yeah, absolutely. Fox said, I went looking for artists and found Timmy Chang's blog. I just asked her straight up, want to make a game with me? We weren't friends. I'd never even spoken with her before that, but she said yes and completely changed my life. For the characters themselves, Fox wanted to make sure that they were believable and consistent and that they didn't exist in a vacuum, that you felt they lived on in their lives while off screen. Also, since this started as a project for his friends, many of the characters are based on people he knows in real life. Fox said, for example, Sands and Papyrus were born out of a joke on my friend Jones. Jones really loves skeletons. They even draw a comic where the characters are skeletons, and the main character's name is Helvetica. Helvetica, of course, is the name of a font that's beloved throughout the world. Now, Jones loves skeletons, but Jones hates skeleton jokes. To rib them a bit, I made a couple of skeleton characters and named them after Comic Sans and Papyrus, two fonts known throughout America for being absolutely terrible. So I had these skeletons, gave them horrible font names, and had them deliver nonstop skeleton jokes. But somehow, Jones actually ended up loving them, which is great. <laughs> it's If you go and find that Helvetica webcomic, like the, it very, very clearly influences uh, for Sans and Papyrus. Fox also spoke about how the major theme is determination. Of course, you see that over and over again. Every time you try to save the game, it remind, it, it, you get filled with determination by looking at something or experiencing something, and then you're able to save. Now, this can mean both force of will, but it also can mean judgment, which I think is a really interesting play on the word. So Fox said, I want to get across, uh, what I want to get across is that although determination is a necessary part of life, it's not always a good thing, you know? 
If someone is too determined, if their will is too firm, they could end up impacting the future of the entire world all by themselves. And there's no telling whether that could end up good or bad. If you're determined to kill every single monster in this world, things get fucked up and dark. Uh, you know, but if you're determined to spare everyone and then you'll experience a completely different situation. So I totally get that. But I also love the judgment angle because there is a lot of judgment of characters of there's a lot of like, I'm evil on my exterior, but I'm actually deep down a, d a good person. You know, there's a lot of that theme running all throughout or I'm a good monster. Sorry, didn't mean to uh, miss monster that. Uh, yeah. So t t let's talk about the Kickstarter launch back in 2009. Kickstarter launched a ground a crowdfunding platform that has the fundraiser committing to a certain amount of money and a deadline. And if they don't get that investment in time, none of the funds are collected. Of course, uh, I, I had my own successful Kickstarter for a video project. Uh, no stranger to it. It uh, was huge everywhere. Also, I got to go to the offices located in Greenpoint. I had a, uh, a friend's boyfriend who worked there, which was a really fat. It was such a fucking burgeoning website company with their cool open air offices and their gardens and the foosball table is so funny either way in june of 2013 at the age of 23 fox launches his own kickstarter for undertale based on a demo that backers could download it was after the demo was made that fox realized the game would be bigger than initially planned fox asked for five thousand dollars he raises $51,124, which is where this all really gets started. Again, had no idea it was going to raise literally 10 times the amount of money that he asked for. And there you have it. Uh, so it, took, it takes Toby Fox, however, 32 months to actually make the game. And he uses Game Maker Studio to do so. This was originally developed by a guy goes by the name of Mark Overmars back in 1999 under the name Animo, which was originally a graphics tool with limited scripting capabilities, which eventually became more of a general-purpose 2D game development engine. He first had the characters and then the battle mechanic and strived to create a game that, quote, utilizes the medium as a storytelling device instead of having the story and gameplay abstractions be completely separate. Uh, the tagline for the Undertale Kickstarter is just called Undertale, a traditional role-playing game where no one has to get hurt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Among the higher tier uh, rewards was the ability to insert bosses and characters into the game. Uh, that's where we got the Miss Muffet spider fight character uh, and the mysterious So Sorry, which uh, it's it's a kind of a, a controversial thing. But you have to like go to the art room on a specific hour, on a specific day in October, and this chubby kind of furry guy is there, and you have your own little unique interaction with him. Uh, and then people looked up who the guy was who funded it, and it turns out he draws inflation and uh, fat furry <laughs> arts, but whatever. <laughs> this is a game based on the Homestuck community. Like, this is the kind of, if anything, there's a kind of, you know, from the character of Alphys to the character of Undyne to the character of Papyrus, there is a shamelessness that epitomizes this era of internet culture. You know, now it's popular to just label everything as cringe, but so much of what made that Homestuck Undertale community uh, so vibrant was it kind of like just this world without shame. Uh, even yeah. Toby himself in interviews and videos and like his own like works, you know, he is not afraid to go cringe um there's an interview with him on fan gamer oh, uh that like he's just he literally ducks behind the couch pops up the annoying dog character that he uses as his avatar uh in game and outside the game 
and just talks in a squeaky voice about the game Undertale. Uh, that was hard to watch. And I honestly, I'm going to say, don't watch it. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say it's super like, again, he's a 21 year old uh, guy at this point, 22 years old. He's talking to other teenagers and like one of the core themes that these characters have to get through is a fear of abandonment. Uh, the flowey, the flower is scared that if you'll shut off the game, he'll be alone forever. Mm-hmm. Alphys is scared that like everyone will hate her because she made mistakes in her past, creating genetic monster uh, horrors, but whatever, uh, you know. Toriel is scared that you'll leave her alone and like get hurt in the rest of the game. It's a very like it's a very young nerd, uh, weird kid fear that just like everyone's going to just abandon you because you just did something to turn everyone off. It's it's very price drop time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more up to 70 percent off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Effective. Also, let's let's dig a little bit deeper into these endings. They're the three endings, neutral, pacifist, and genocide ending. Jake, I had no idea how fucked up the genocide ending was until our Sunday study session. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew for the Sunday study session tier. Uh, it <laughs> Okay, can you explain? Do you want to explain this? I feel like you, okay. you know so this better than me. The core thing in the game that uh, one of the key subversions is that it completely recontextualizes how all these taken for granted uh, RPG mechanics work in this in this world. And so all of a sudden uh, things like XP and love and your and your level as a character are completely turned into these dark forces that like XP is like this execution points. Yeah. And uh your level is like how much murder you've done. Level of, and, vi- level of, level violence, of violence, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the idea that like barreling your way through this game and just ruthlessly murdering all the monsters you encounter is actually this incredibly dark and twisted drive and that you should question. There's a finite amount of monsters in each area. So once you kill them all, It'll just, in, in, uh, your random encounter, it'll just go to a blank screen that just simply reads, but nobody came. And the music slows down, and interactions are completely different. People won't talk to you. People Characters won't even be there that were supposed to be there. Shopkeepers will run away scared with a note that just says, please don't hurt my family. <laughs> like, shit gets real. It's but fucked. I, but, but let's, okay. So... I feel like the genocide run is li- it's like the last run. Yeah. Uh, first, you'd have to go through a neutral ending, 
yes. which is uh, still a very good if I played through the neutral ending the first time around and it's a satisfying game experience very much so I just if you just did that one and I really did enjoy this I, albeit I waited a little too long five years is a little too long to wait but it was nice to do the neutral ending put the game down walk away from it for years and then come back and be like oh now I'll do the pacifist by the way you cannot do the pacifist or genocide ending until you've beaten the game the first time through as neutral because otherwise how would you even know that what you're doing is unique yeah the second run through, it, you can do either pacifist or genocide, but you're right. I mean, A, we're going to talk about the Sands fight, but it, I, I don't, I'll never do the genocide run because it sounds impossible. But the pacifist ending I did do, and that was very satisfying. Big emotional, happy ending, this really great, beautiful just scene with all the characters you've met coming together. It's really, really wonderful. The, and the final boss fight is quite a spectacle. One of the things that immediately makes you start realizing this game is different is even in the neutral ending, the first boss you fight is Toriel, and she's literally standing in your way to get to the rest of the game. And you just kind of try everything. You don't want to kill her because she has, you know, she's been this one, this mom character the entire time. The music in her house is like this nice, calm guitar version of the game theme. Like, you've not been given any reason to actually hurt her. So you're just trying out different stuff. You're pleading with her. You're doing, you're trying to grant her mercy. Nothing's quite working. And you just like, I guess I'll hit her. And you hit her once and nothing happens. And like, as you're like whittling down her life bar, you think to yourself like, okay, so like, I bet if I get her down to like a certain, I played RPGs before. They do these like scripted things where like they'll interrupt the fight and like you get to move on. And so with like around a little bit less than like half her health left, you go in for another attack and you immediately wipe out her life. She stares at you shocked and she disappears. And you're like, whoa, 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 what the fuck? What the fuck? What? You immediately X out and you go and reload your save and you try and do it again. And the fucking flowey character who's already been this weird, duplicitous, creepy figure just immediately goes like, I know what the fuck you did. You fucking tried to, you killed her, didn't you? You fucking murderer. Well, like, good luck, but I know what you did. And, like, you immediately realize this game is, like, can, like, the game is existing beyond the game window. Yeah. The ways that the game will keep track of things in your save states, keep track of things, uh, shut the game it's off itself during boss fights, do all of these meta fourth wall breaking things completely fuck things up and then if you do make it through the neutral route you then can open up the pacifist route and you just just you know just look up a game fact and just figure out like how to avoid combat you don't gain any levels you don't yeah. attack anybody you don't kill anybody and you figure and you see that there really is a way to get past any obstacle without violence and it's incredibly incredibly uh, uh, life-affirming. It's nice. It's fun. It's a little bit difficult, but like they, uh, more of the plot is revealed. You get to see uh, characters that were only inferred on. Uh, just every happy ending just gets a little bit happier. Then there's a third route. Yeah. And this route is, again, they're going for that creepypasta, that you may Nikki thing. Mm -hmm. The way that Toby Fox built this game for a internet literate audience, for like his friend, you know, not taking anything for mass appeal granted, just like creating something deeply niche. 
at a certain point in the genocide run, Flowey, the character, the evil character that like uh, you've been confronting and kind of knows about save files, knows about what you've done, will literally just be like, you don't even have the guts to do all this. I bet you're just watching someone else play. Yeah, Because yeah. that's how the majority of people, like to even include dialogue in your game being like, Hey there. Hey, what's up, YouTube, you fuckers? Yeah, I know yeah. you're watching this on YouTube, you coward fucker. <laughs> like, that's so crazy. I also love that, you know, you have to kill all these enemies in every single area, which which essentially speaks towards the opposite of what Toby Fox wanted out of the gameplay experience. In other words, it's a super grindy experience where you're leveling up and doing all these things that you don't need to do at all that just puts you in the place of the type of RPG that he was criticizing. And then you get to the Sands fight. And the Sands fight is just look up, look it up on YouTube. There's you don't no- fight Sands in any other playthrough. The whole, like, he's really the only, like, well, I guess Alphys and it's in, her, in a way, but that's Metaton. And it, you, the whole time you're playing, you're like, huh, it feels like I should be fighting Sands at some point. But it never happens until this final judgment room yeah. right before the end of the genocide run. And it's crazy. And the way he talks to you, just everything is changes. It's like very creepy pasta is it. It's very spooky, ooky, ooky, like weird and eerie. And the fight itself is the most insane fucking bullet hell nonsense. Just look it up. Like I said, I, had I tried no playing idea. on the Sunday study uh, group. Uh, that's by the way, if you go to patreon.com, join the discord tier every Sunday, we uh, live stream and our research for the upcoming week. Either we play games, watch videos, just discuss things. Everybody gets to talk to us. And so it's a good hang. Check it out. Um, I could not make it three seconds into that Sands fight. Yeah. Just the opening absurd. salvo killed me every time. And it's a really long fight. It, it's 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 something to behold. And, and that's where Megalovania comes from. Yeah. Uh, it sh- and the just the sheer... Sands is pretty much the breakout character of this game. He's, ba- he's basically Sonic the Hedgehog of the new generation in terms of ubiquity, in terms of the amount of fan art and fan cannons and all these things, because the entire game, he's kind of this can't be bothered. Just like he, in his own, like lazy, goofy way, he's like the coolest character. Mm-hmm. He's un, he's nonplussed, I guess is the way to say it. And in this fight, he just gets like super serious. He gets the glowing eye where previously he didn't have any uh, pupils. And uh, he reveals that like, he might be an all-powerful trans-dimensional like time police officer. Like he just all this lore, all this like all everything you know is just turned on its head and basically turns this goofy kind of uh Bart Simpson character into Spike Spiegel, into Vash the Stampede. Cause everybody wants the cool, nonplussed guy who is a secret world-shattering badass. Yeah. And that like combination of character aspects just Blew through every like cool nerd cool checkbox. So the game itself like kind of morphs. It becomes this life affirming like power of friendship anime thing. It becomes this meta creepy pasta thing. It becomes this true bullet hell speed run kind of thing. A lot of the genocide run is literally just like looking the player in the eye and being like, "Hey, what is what? Why do you want to do this?" Like, is 100%ing something that important to you? Like, do you just want, like, why do you need to say that you've done this? Like, it really, within this one game, they're commenting on the experience of, like, just what is, what is to game? Holden, what, 
what is the game? To play a game. And then, if you do get past this fight, and the game has changed forever. They destroy the in-game universe at the end. So you have to wait 10 minutes before the character Chara shows up and offers you to go back to the world that you destroyed. However, you still have the altered endings if you do the playthroughs again and again and again. Even if you do the pacifist playthrough after that, things will be slightly different. And the game will always call your, your shit out, essentially, for, for doing the genocide ending. It's like you're almost punished for 100 percenting it in this the in smell this of blood will never wash off of you yeah you can feel you it's what's the line like you can feel the heat of your sins at your back like yeah. just real crazy shit yeah so a, a huge thing that really we have to talk about when we talk about the release of undertale and its impact is happening at the same time around 2015 2016 is the rise of let's players so this is a niche game. It's like a popular indie game, but it's really just like there's no reason millions of kids should know who the fuck Sans and Papyrus are. But this is the begin. This is the height of the Let's Player. And so this is just, for example, uh, PewDiePie picks up this game and he starts playing it on his channel. Nine million views. The mm. Game Grumps pick up this game. Four million. Technically, it's Steam Train, which was Ross and Barrett. Whatever. You know, we'll do a Game Grumps episode. Whatever. Uh, Vanos Gaming, who's like a Team Fortress player who does like death runs and shit or Counter-Strike death runs, uh, gets 15 and a half million views. Dan and Phil get 5.6. Jack Septicai, the fucking Irish wonder, gets 19 million views. And uh, the game theorist fucking Matt Pat gets... An entire run of hit YouTube videos all about the hidden lore of the game. Uh, he gets 12 million views where he just pulls a weird theory out of his hat, out of his ass, uh, about how Sans is actually the ghost of Ness from Earthbound. Uh, 7 million and 8 million and 11 million views about this, you know, the WD Gaster character who was like thrown in as part of just the weird, like creepypasta, hidden lore, fun value mechanic. Like, for every, like, you know, 500,000 people that actually bought this game, there's 20 million kids who have been watching this game played through in its entirety as their favorite, uh, you know, YouTubers who are all in their early 20s, just like Toby Fox's, getting really affected by this game. And it just, it becomes a, a children's property almost. Toby Fox said, I didn't imagine it'd get any sort of reaction at all. From the very start, it was just a small project for me and my friends, so I figured, well, maybe if someone was into the exact same stuff as me, they might dig it. Looks like there are more people like that than I thought. So much so, of, but of course, if you look at it too, you can see how it would go this path of, of, of negative fandom after a while, because it's this game that appeals to a lot of young people, but it's also very weird. It's also very uh, offbeat, this, this bizarre thing. So, of course... When something gets that much love by that type of audience for long enough, it begins to get a lot of hate. Fox said, at the height of its popularity, not liking the game felt like a cardinal sin to many fans online. In reaction to these circumstances, others began to actively hate the game, creating an endless whirlwind of discourse. Like a thunderclap to a small dog, all of this attention stressed me out. 
And every time it seemed to die down, something revived it, such as the Game Facts contest, the award shows, bizarre theory videos, and so on. At times, I wished I had a way to quell the attention. GameFacts.com, famous video game website, uh, had a fan-voted list of like the top 100 games ever made. And obviously, Undertale fans swamped it, and it became better than Ocarina of Time, better than Metal Gear Solid, better than Call of Duty Modern Warfare. I felt a strange powerlessness, Fox said, and guilt for feeling stressed when the success of the game should be something I'm nothing but ecstatic about. He also goes on, this was a a post he put up on his website, like a little check-in post on his blog. He goes on to say that the many great things happened too, uh, and how much he loved to hear people say it helped them through a tough time, and thanked all of the fans for their love and art, and that quote, I've been in fandoms my whole life. I drew cave story characters in the margins of my seventh grade history class notes, so it's amazing to see something I created incite a similar passion in other people. Uh, Cave Story also had a race of white, furry, very Toriel, Asgar, Asgore, Asriel-looking motherfuckers. (laughs) Like, the Cave Story influence is very much there, too. So, yeah, you said you chatted with some folks on, like, an Undertale discord or anything i mean what yeah. what sense do you get from from this fandom do you think it is toxic and and uh, over the top or or is it a, a good thing so i think the one of the core strengths of undertale is it's incredibly well fleshed out but manageable cast of characters uh everyone from undyne to alphys to asgore to toriel all have very strong personality types that you uh, befriend. They become, you know, they're as real to you as any other, as a fictional character can be. And so it lends itself to a lot of like younger creators having this beautiful set of uh, action figures of toys that they can rearrange and tell their own stories with. Um, a huge part of it is uh, fan art. People will alter the designs. There's Underfell which is like a spookier, edgier version of Undertale that like artists would draw and that ends up having its own separate life uh, that people then write their own fan fictions of. There's under swaps and under shifts where characters are the same, but their roles are reversed. Like uh, Sans is the anxious one and Papyrus is the cool one or Toriel's there is the cool one. And now Azrael's the king, like all these weird things, you know, the pieces themselves, the toys are so uh, beloved that people just find new ways of playing with them. But then uh, again, because this was millions, I, I quoted millions of kids were indoctrinated or not indoctrinated, inducted into this fandom through YouTube. Uh, you're going to have any population of millions of people are going to have a percentage of unhinged people among with them. And so uh, stuff like uh, does Frisk speak? Because they're pretty much mute in the game. You know, all of a sudden, if someone else says, oh, no, 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 Frisk can definitely talk. I wrote a whole fan fiction about it. That negates your very personal experience where you believe they don't. Uh, Frisk is the the character you play as who is not Kara, whatever. Please, you you played the game. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, a lot of things about the game, such as the uh, quasi-lesbian romance, uh, you know, makes it. Uh, very appealing to a lot of uh, teens that are like, you know, don't feel welcome in other communities and so are very sensitive about uh, bigotry and anything that could be diminishing their experience. So there's a lot of toxicity there. And the main character, I believe, is androgynous. Is purposefully androgynous. So like, so 
because the game is so open to personal interpretation, anybody's individual interpretation could, through the wrong eyes, feel like a refutation of their personal interpretation. So then all of a sudden conflict emerges. Right. But for the most part, it's just a lot of people who think Sans is cool and want to create <laughs> like skeleton sonas. There's a huge, the game was localized to Japan and there's a giant Japanese fandom that has their own like doujinshis made and their own fan communities. There's Korean web comics that use uh, Undertale as the basis for them. Like, it's just this very, I, I, I don't know how else to say it besides the, the, the toy chest analogy that like with, even though these characters are giant hodgepodges of a million disparate influences concentrated into this one thing it allows these fans to play with all sorts of ideas because it's like endearing and you know power friendship good time anime but also fucked up genocide run nihilism like it's all contained in this one game and so the potential for fan created content can go in any direction now that is what brings us to delta rune to cap things off an anagram of Undertale, Deltarune has the player controlling a human named Chris in a world inhabited by monsters called the Dark World. The combat system involved the ability to resolve fights peacefully, just like before in Undertale. Uh, and uh, you also have the bullet hell attacks coming from the enemies, though it looks more, the, the layout of the fight, it looks more like early Final Fantasy games. And another cool thing about it is the your your party, there's a person in your party that is actively trying to kill the monsters. So <laughs> and you have to manage them. So you're trying to deal with them and, and trying to warn the monsters that they don't get hurt, this sort of thing. He was inspired actually to make this back in college. He had a dream in which he saw the ending of a video game and decided to recreate it. Another inspiration came from playing card designs posted by an artist named Canotines that was posted on Tumblr, which are actually used in the game. Look up those cards. Again, that is, uh, what is the name? Canotines cards. It's a really, really cool looking designs. Timmy Chang comes back as the main artist and the game is, quote, intended for people who have completed Undertale. Fox announced, and I agree. I haven't played all of Chapter One, but just playing it, I'm like, yeah, you. I don't think you would nearly have as much understanding of really what's ha like, really the basis. You you need that foundation of playing Undertale. But either way, it's cool. I just remember the way that uh, just the entire internet exploded. I think it was it on Halloween. Uh, yeah, October thirty first, twenty eighteen. It was just this thing popped up on the Undertale website that was like, hey, could you guys take this fan survey? And then you downloaded a file and without warning, boom, spiritual sequel. Like, yeah. holy shit. But it is it is only chapter one. It's about three hours of playtime. And there's what's going on now, though, because we have still chugging along. It's okay. uh, definitely been taking longer. Uh, you know, Undertale development was maybe a couple of. Obviously, it was years of inspiration and like kind of thinking about it. But uh, Toby definitely feels like a level of pressure to recreate the success and like not disappoint fans. So he's taking a sweet ass time. He's contributed music to other games. Uh, uh huh. He's worked on he got he contributed a track to Pokemon Sword and Shield, if I remember correctly. That is correct. He uh, even got to hang out in Japan and play Smash Brothers with Sakurai and now. Sans is an available uh, me costume. Like, you know, he's been he's been keeping busy, but uh, Undertale, he's not rushing is the current uh, common knowledge. 
And as for the fandom, Fox did say, I hope someday a kid who liked Undertale grows up and makes an amazing game. I would be happy to play that. And I think that that brings us full circle to the boy at four years old having his mind blown by Earthbound and uh, that starting this, uh, I'm going to say pacifist timeline where he just creates a really good game instead of going out and killing a bunch of people. <laughs> uh, thank you everybody for joining us uh, for Wizard of the Bruiser. If you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Check us out on that. We have bonus content every single week for just $5 a month. It's a great situation. So just check that out. And I'm saying that the word situation because I'm watching too much Jersey Shore. Also catch me on twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. I stream Monday, Tuesday, Friday nights. Love to see you guys come in enthusiastically to support uh, the podcast and everything. It's so much fun to see y'all in chat. Jake? Follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung and see all of my various thoughts and plops and wonderful things. And until next time, never stop whizzing and always keep bruising. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.